And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Hey, this is a rock and roll museum. You guys don't belong in here. <laughs> They ranted, they fainted, their eyes were glassy, some pulled their hair out, some tore their dresses. They threw notes of a very uh, undesirable nature on the stage. I'll tell you all about it. Welcome to Long Play. A podcast where nerds rock out with their Spock out. Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Long Play. I'm Chris Honeywell, and I've been on all these episodes, and we got a first-timer on Long Play, and hopefully we'll have a lot of first-timers on this show. Um, we've got Mr. Sean Engel. Hey, everyone. Thanks for thanks for tuning, tuning in and listening to us jabber on about music. Yeah, and and this this album is going to be Queen the Game, and this one was your idea. Yeah, actually, I, I contacted you when you guys turned up the long play thing. I think this was during like a Walking Dead Wednesday. We just mm-hmm. shot out stuff that everyone wanted to do, and I said, you know, I really want to do Queen the Game. I mean, most people will think there's better Queen albums out there. Most people will point to News of the World or Night at the Opera, you know, especially because that one has Bohemian Rhapsody on it. Yeah. But this one, I think, overall is the best Queen album. And it kind of, it, you know, sales-wise, it pretty much says that it was the best Queen album. It was the only one to reach number one in the U.S., and I think it's the biggest-selling one behind News of the World. I think it sold, like, four million copies, uh, you know, as, uh, you know, to date. So it's, it's a really popular album, and I think it's because pretty much every song on this is just eminently listenable. It's a, every I mean, song's a winner. Some are more oh, yeah. than others as far as like the charts go and stuff, but every song is a winner. I remember God, I was a kid and just, I was um, in the front yard of, of a family friend who would babysit us and her son and I would, would just go around town and play all day and uh, you know, so this must have been 1980 because that's when, when the album came out and uh, the radio was on and uh, another one bites the dust came on and it was just one of the weirdest things I ever heard and I wanted that I wanted like the single to it but like that Christmas I'd asked for this album for Christmas and I got the record you know was sitting down Christmas Day I, I, because I'd also the year before, my mother had gotten me uh, um, Queen and Night at the Opera on cassette because she wanted to hear Bohemian Rhapsody. 
And so that so at that point I had identified and Night of the Opera, seeing as how I was a big ELO fan, just sort of said, Okay, I like Queen. So then I heard this song and it sounded like a very different Queen song and I had to have this album. And mm-hmm. as a little kid, you know, seeing the album cover, it was all shiny and I was like, Look at Queen, they're all dressed up like in their disco gear, like um like um Oh, with the village people or something, you know? No idea that it's like it was like gay club bondage, yeah, leather gear, boys, leather, leather fetish gear. No idea. It was just like, ooh, it's a disco album. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that you say that this came out right sort of near the end of the disco era. It came out right in the beginning of the '80s, and there are some songs on here, like another one bites the dust, that does have a specific disco feel. But a, a lot of the other songs, you know, have very different uh, musical feels, dating back all the way to like 1950s Elvis type songs. Uh, very sort of. Uh, uh, jangly, you know, guitar songs. It's just a great melange of music. Unlike, you know, previous episodes, like in the Daft Punk one, where the the albums tend to have an entire theme a running cohesion. through them. Yeah. This one doesn't really have a cohesion. It's just a, 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 a compilation of songs. But the songs by themselves are just so good that you're not really concerned about the fact that it doesn't have a sort of through way from beginning to end. What I think... So, holds this album together like gives it cohesion is the production of it i think it's differently produced than an, and better produced than any queen album before it and it was sort of after this album that every album had that level of production on it you know mm-hmm. it was I, I, crystal I think the clear one person, yeah the one person i think who came in to to first time produce for this was a person named mac I'm not exactly who he was, but he's a person that you'd see on the producing uh, side for Queen for the next few albums. And right. Yes, he definitely gave them a sound that pretty much uh, took them from this era on through the 80s till uh, their later albums. So, yeah, this is this is the beginning of some really good music for Queen. Yeah. Well, I'm, I, I'll say right now, let's go right into the first song, which is Play the Game. record on they were like queens gone disco which oh yeah i thought that too but now when i listen back to this song i don't really hear 
the disco you know it's it's not a it's more of an anthemic song it's not something you're gonna go and shake your booty to it doesn't have any of the elements of disco maybe it was just the the production of it or something but everybody was like whoa queen's queen's gone disco and well the thing is it 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 starts out with that that synthesizer chord coming in and since queen throughout pretty much up until this time was like no sense no sense they would brag about it i I think news of the world actually had a credit on it saying no synthesizers Mm mm-hmm well, I'm pretty certain most of their albums prior to this. I remember seeing it on the album notes for, uh, for uh, not News of the World, but for uh, Night at the Opera this, as well. Yes, this is their first album with, that where a synthesizer shows up on it. And it's a welcome addition to Queen. They really make good use of it in this. But they, they use it in, in the terms of their own music. It doesn't mm-hmm. overthrow their music. It's just another added dimension to them because you've still got that distinct guitar feel, that distinct guitar sound that Brian May comes through. You've got the pianos and the keyboards that Freddie Mercury will do, and you've got that amazing uh, bass riffs that, that John Deacon will put into the, the stuff. So it's it's just another layer that the synthesizers add to Queen's music here. Yeah, I think maybe the big shock was Queen... I don't want to say their production was muddy before this, but it was very basic you know uh, night at the opera was probably their biggest like layered and queen 2 maybe were like their biggest like let's layer stuff and queen 2 you could definitely hear the limitations of their studio expertise and you know the money put into it and stuff and it and it sort of goes steadily up but this one is like queen crystal clear you know it's almost getting into the realm of like bands like boston and stuff where it you you put it on the hi-fi and it sounds really great and the the synthesizers are swirling from one side of the the speaker to the other um Uh, and i think that may be because that this album came out you know around the height where Boston was really a popular band. So not that Queen was trying to catch up, but they were trying to get into that sort of uh, same musical design there. So uh, maybe yeah. the production you know, led them to that kind of thing. But yeah, uh, Play the Game is a great song. It's, it, 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 like I said, it incorporates the idea of synthesizers into the traditional sound of uh, Queen's music, the, what, you, what you associate with them. You know, the, that sort of... Uh, guitar with the the box recorder with the box box going with it so it's just it's a great way to start out the album saying that we've moved into this new era we've accepted synthesizers but we haven't but they're you know it's this new era and that's they haven't changed from that original era they've added this new level of sound to them that's made them uh, a, a much richer and a much deeper band yeah well you know i think the thing about queen is no matter what they try to do not that they're trying not to not that they're trying not to be queen but any any experimentation they do it still is queen i i think this song is like their first big prototype not ballad but just sort of their that that took on that big not a big message but just sort of an overall positive message on life, which you know oh, yeah. would, would would 
come into play with a lot of their later stuff, you know, when, when Freddie Mercury was like knew that he was could would be dying soon. Mm-hmm. And uh but this one is, you know, just sort of a a positive message and it's sort of set seems like it's set in the the dance club crowd, you know, there's like light another cigarette and let yourself go lines and but it's just sort of a positive message on do do your thing and and have a good time, man. Well, and if there was a theme to this album, I think that would be kind of it. Uh, you know, throughout some of the other songs that we'll get in later into the album, it's just have fun. Yeah, uh, and that's kind of what this this album you know personifies is you know play the game, enjoy yourself, and and have fun with it. So Which there's it's so a many great opening to the to the album. There's so many bands that, that that have that message too, but something about Freddie Mercury sells it with an extra level and depth to it, you know. There's something about his delivery and his just pure happiness of singing that comes through that it's why Queen is still huge, you know. Mm-hmm. I think it's the fact that Freddie Mercury just didn't care. He was, yeah. You want to say hedonist, but I wouldn't say hedonist. Oh, he He's was just a, a person hedonist. Who enjoyed life. Yeah, He's just no, a he was a hedonist. Enjoyed life and didn't care. So there's there's no doubt that he was a that, that he was a hedonist. <laughs> wow, true, very true. And uh, but he has that John Waters effect, where John Waters like movies. You have some of the horrible, filthiest people. Or whatever, what are what are perceived as that? But the way he he looks at them is almost loving and as as human beings. So it, they always come off as almost having a purity to them, you know, almost a charming naivety. And that's what Freddie Mercury would 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 project. He could be singing about, you know, people one night stands. And people would still go, ah, <laughs> what a nice song about love. Oh yes. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, and, and we'll get stuff like that later in the uh, later in the album. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> just, just these songs about having fun, and obviously the fun being, you know, <laughs> the hot guy on guy action. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I think we should move on to a song that I don't know what the hell this song's about. Oh yes. <laughs> it's called Dragon Attack. This one, I, I like this song because this is, in the song that's predominantly poppy and disco, this is a song that's just a balls-out rock song. Yeah. I mean, this is, down. This, is, this is Brian May. Brian May wrote this one, and Brian May is, 
if you don't know how amazing Brian May is, go read something on the internet. This man is a guitar genius. He built his own guitar, mm-hmm. and that's why he has the the Queen albums have this kind of distinctive sound. And he used that guitar pretty much throughout most of his life through Queen. He also is an astrophysicist. Yes, he writes books on astrophysics. <laughs> he he is a he is a literal literal certifiable genius. And this song is just he writes he writes books awesome on astrophysics songs. and he writes lyrics that say take me to the room where the green's all green and from what I've seen it's hot it's mean. Oh yes. <laughs> just I don't even know what that what those lyrics mean, but I don't care because it is just such a balls out rocking song. And uh, you've got the not only do you have the great, you know, just hard driving guitar riff, but also I want to promote John Deacon and his bass playing. The the sort of background, you know, the bassists never get any any love from the band, and John Deacon is just an amazingly talented. It seems it seems simple what he's doing, but it adds so much to it. The the do 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 the the bass line for this is just awesome. We get and we get later on in the album some even better bass lines. It's just it's just awesome. Yeah, this one is definitely you know the drums are just doing your standard heavy drums, and the guitar and the bass are just having a riot in it. There's some, and that's the thing is Brian May's approach to a guitar solo is as unusual as probably the physical attributes of his guitar so you have some just really weird you know tossed off guitar licks and odd scrunchy noises and stuff it, but it's all just beautifully timed and tied i i, I love this song <laughs> i i remember this being on the b-side of another one bites of dust when I was a kid, but if that's yeah. true, then that means I must have had the UK release of it because that's what it said was the the it was said that was a B side on the UK. But I swear that's what I had on the B side of my 45 of uh, another one bites of dust. See, I remember this being one of the uh, additional tracks that they remastered when they mm-hmm. did a remaster release. All of these once Wayne's World came out and Bohemian Rhapsody hit big again, they remastered all the Queen albums, yep. and uh, this was the song that they remastered for that. And it wasn't really changed all all that much, but it was just an excellent rock song. I, uh, I love this song. This is another. It, it's it's the one really just driving almost heavy metal song it's it's the stone cold crazy of this album it's it's actually i just realized it does have a nice little drum breakdown in it and that's where they actually say get down yes which was maybe also what made people think there was a little disco going on well and then then it's also you know you you mentioned the drum break it's also got you know the bass break and the guitar break so each of the instruments really gets its own chance to have its own little you know, short little solo there. You know, you get your, you get your each instrument having their solo time to yep. to, and then to show a off. Vocal so. breakdown at the end. Mm-hmm. Just an awesome rock song. And one thing we're going to notice in here that this is this album is not all sung by Freddie Mercury, but I know a lot of people <laughs> to this day think that every every voice they hear on here is Freddie Mercury, and yeah, that's. 
you know, if you, if you do listen, you'll get the idea that Freddie is not the only singer. But the thing is, each member of the band that sings, both Brian May and Roger Taylor, are such good, talented singers. They're very that it, close to Freddie it Mercury. It, it doesn't distract you from the fact that it's not Freddie Mercury. It, they're all, they all have distinct voices if you listen to them enough. Yes. But... But it doesn't. They, it doesn't. When they come together, especially when they do the, the the choral vocals together, it's just so wonderful. And that's one of the the things I love about the Queen sound as well is the the vocals that they can when they all work together, May and Mercury and uh, uh, Taylor. It it just gives it such a richness and it's, it's such a depth. It's awesome. Well, I know they've been like Queen has wanted to do like tours and stuff, and they've had other people sing for Freddie Mercury and stuff. But I wish it wasn't so hard to be an insanely awesome bass player or guitar player and sing the Freddie Mercury parts also, because they could do it. They couldn't do it with the same flash and stuff, but, you know, they, they, they could hit the vocal parts pretty much. And I would be happy to see a Queen like that just to see the remaining members of queen i don't know it might be kind of sad though without without a yeah man but i um, know brian may uh you know after freddie mercury died released a solo album that had some songs that eventually went on the sort of you know final tribute album right. where they they called freddie and you know basically propped him up in the hospital to sing these songs is that like and, made in uh, heaven and, or something like that yeah made in he- yeah it was before made in heaven came out and uh brian may did some songs on his own album and they sounded you know brian may sounds good on his own you know i i wouldn't have a problem you know a brian may and roger taylor going out with you know i know john deacon's not touring with them anymore but going out and doing their own solo album and you know, trying to do as many songs as they could without, you know, Adam Lambert or oh, who was it from uh, Paul Rogers. Because Lambert might have the vocal range, but he just doesn't have the dynamism yeah. that Freddie Mercury does. Yeah. So. Well, you know who I thought did the best job of any of their replacements was George Michael. When, yes, when he did that, uh, when they did that tribute concert, I thought he was great. Another band, tore it up. you know, Another band that, that that I actually enjoyed for that concert, and I never would have thought of it, was the band Extreme. I thought they did some really great covers of uh, of uh, Queen songs, and I think uh, it's also a testament that Nuno Bentoncourt, the guitarist for Extreme, is uh, is I think is as talented a guitarist as Brian May. But yeah, I think for, I think George Michael would be a great substitute if they wanted to get him and nab him for doing a queen tour and i'm not a fan of george michael or wham but he really he really captured some of the spirit of freddie mercury you know there was some feel to it when he did the cover of somebody to love it was perhaps the best the best version of the song that was done out there even better than like david bowie coming on to do uh under pressure with andy lennox yeah no yeah it, it was oh you know who else i saw play with brian may was uh lady gaga and i think she was in mandrag the hell and she tore it up also and i was thinking lady gaga and mandrag with queen might be something like 
not really a queen tour, but maybe write some songs with them because she there was she was working the stage, the theatrics of it, and that was an important part of uh, of uh, Freddie Mercury. And speaking of theatrics, I think we should move on to the next song. A little bit you guys may have heard of sometime on the radio called Another One Bites the Dust. reason i got this, this album mm-hmm. that this is this is proof that a baseline can sell a song mm-hmm. uh, you know i don't i don't care about the guitars on this i don't care about the drums they're ancillary you hear this baseline you know what you're getting into my kids who very rarely listen to the radio other than the pop songs that are on nowadays hear this song and they know this song they know it's another one bites the dust. It's, I and think the song, like brilliant. as a kid, I liked it because it had somewhat, some kind of a narrative to it. You know, it had like a little story in the front of it, and you heard the machine gun. <laughs> it, it was such a weird when it came on the radio. It was so weird, and mm-hmm. so it, it, I don't know what you know. I heard. I I remember hearing somewhere like. You know, he was reading a news story about, you know, a murder and got some of the lines for it and stuff. But but I like how it starts out as an actual murder and then it, it becomes a metaphor for for heartbreak. Mm-hmm. Well, as you do with any Freddie Mercury song. I mean, a lot of a lot of Freddie songs and this one is actually let's see, is this one actually written by Freddie? No, this is written by John Deacon. So, there you go. John's behind <laughs> this one, and, and you know, and this this allows Deacon to shine. I mean, this gives you the most memorable baseline. I think, you know, and, and that's another thing. Queen happens to have some of the most memorable baselines that you know. It's this one, and you think about the the baseline for Under Pressure, which is even more simple than this. So it's just those things that get caught in your head, and uh, it's. The musicianship and the lyrics and everything, it, it comes together to make just another really fun song. Yep. And this one actually has the disco chank going on. Chanky, chanky guitars in it. And you could actually play this in a disco and people would be dancing. It would look a little weird. <laughs> but I'm sure yeah, it I happened, think that's actually. The, I think that's one of the things that people... Uh, noticed on this but they 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 mentioned this was perhaps the most disco song on it and i can kind of see it but i i I like to think of it as more i'm certain luke jack and eddie is yelling at us right now because i know there is a professional wrestler that used this as one of his intro songs and one of the wrestlers from the 80s but i cannot remember who 
I'm certain Luke will write in and or get with us and tell us, you know, it was this person, you idiot. So I'm sure Bob Fisher's listening too, and I'm I'm sure Bob Fisher can tell us if this song turned up in in the disco. I'm sure it did. It had to. It definitely turned up in the roller roller not roller derby, but the roller rinks because when we go roller oh, skating. Yeah. Um, a good ch- sometimes this this album would just get put on, and a whole song oh, yeah. would get played. Ah, the good old days of roller skating. Yeah, I remember. I remember going to my local roller rink, and yeah, that this is one of the predominant songs that got played at that time. So yeah, yeah, uh, then, uh, fond memories. Then when it was sl- slow skate, couples skate, they would play sad eyes. Turn the other. <laughs> oh wow yeah alright well how about we go on to the next one Uh, Need Your Loving Yeah, this is this is one of the songs that starts the sort of callback to these sort of 1950s yes. sort of pop songs. Yes. It, it, it has kind of a Beatles feel yes. or a kind of Beach Boys type feel. Oh my god. Uh, it's you, got that you're almost, jangly guitar going in there. You are almost like following my notes exactly. I have pure pop, sunny and happy, vaguely 50s, vaguely Caribbean <laughs> there somewhere. But yeah, but then it's then it's got some pretty aggressive guitar as it as it as it gets going mm-hmm. and becomes sort of like a rock anthem. Yeah, and it also has the stereotypical Queen thing of they they finally get the three vocalists together and do that three part harmony doing the Ooh, I need your loving tonight, and it's just it's another. It's another song that draws off different rock influences and different music influences, but is taken by Queen and done in their own manner and made a Queen song. So it, it builds on you know the layers that rock and roll has uh, founded over the past couple of decades, but turns it around and makes it their own. So it's, it's, it's again, another glorious song. Yes, it's... it's um soaring <laughs> in some places it's it's very queen and it's it's kind of reminds me this is the first one that sounds a little bit of like um um news of the world it's it's got a very news of the world sort of yeah i can see that at that that whole multi-part thing i always love the keep my heart out line in it too Oh yeah, that that seems very 
sort of 1950s rockabilly type thing. You know, all you get my heart out goes on. Love you, love you, love you, love you. Yeah. And that's actually perfect because it leads right into, and I think from this song into the next song is one of the best transitions from the end of one song because it's one of those transitions where there's barely a pause between one song when the other one starts and and that's uh it just kicks right into a crazy little thing called love with another one bites of dust was the other number one song with a bullet off this album supposedly written in 10 minutes by freddie mercury this doesn't have much going for it lyrically but what it has is just the essence of that sort of rockabilly style i think this is this could easily classified as the greatest elvis song not recorded by yes i mean this is just it is so fun and it's so it's also, you know, and I'll pull back the curtain here. It's it's also a great karaoke song. Uh, it's one of the songs, you know, I was uh, on vacation with my uh, soon-to-be wife, and you know, we were down in uh, Dallas and uh, whatever the downtown area, and they were having this big party, and there was a karaoke stand, and uh, my wife dared me to get up and sing something, so I got up and sang this song because one, it's an awesome song, and two, it's also very easy to sing, and it's just. It's a fun song to do, and it's it's very simple. Brian May, uh, it, you know, forgoes his very stylistic guitar riffs for just a very 1950s sort of bluesy Elvis feel. Solo. Yes, and it's it's just great. And we've also got uh, again John Deacon doing a very simple walking bass part, you know, the boom, 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 da boom, 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 but he boom, gets, boom, boom, But he gets, like, musically the best part of the song where they where they do the little breakdown where he goes, doom, 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 and then the bam, 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 into the, you know, acapella part of it. it <clears throat> this There was a big, in this time period, the, actually the acapella thing hadn't started up yet. But the 50s revival was getting going, and especially on the rockabilly end, because the Stray Cats were a big deal and came out of nowhere, sort of a new, you know, 80s rock and roll rockabilly, you know. But they had the stripped, you know, they played just the basic instruments with no, no, they didn't really gild it that much. So I think this was definitely. I don't know if they were jumping on the bandwagon or if they were just like, yeah, I want to do something like that. But it ended up being better, I think, than anything the Stray Cats ever did. (laughs) 
Oh yes, you know, fifties imitators that you know Billy Joel ended up down the line doing his fifties album. Neil Young did mm -hmm. a great fifties album. No, this this personifies the sort of fifties feel and you know the sort of feel of you know Elvis Presley and that Mm -hmm. kind of vibe. But it's it, it it also you know has the sort of you know happy you know get together type feel that Freddie Mercury would put in his lyrics, you know, and the fact that it was written in 10 minutes, you know, it's just a simple song, but it's just so engaging and so fun to listen to, you know, and that's, that's kind of the theme that we're getting in this entire album. Yes. Well, I heard he wrote it in 10 minutes while he was in the bathtub. So it was like, you know, you could see someone in the bathtub just sort of splish splashing around. You know, with this song, and and the thing about rockabilly songs is they're all a you know they're all just the same few patterns. So he just had to work with the one three five, give it a little middle break. You know, the little, there goes my baby type part. And this song, this song like go like can be done by a country band with a you know thick accent or you know a more rockin' band. It's just yeah, it's ready to go. It's like one of the greats of all time, and definitely one of the great queen queen songs of all time. And I I I don't think I mentioned this, but like I don't know. I don't think I I don't know if I could pick a favorite Queen album. I could probably get in the top three or four. With like two or three constantly battling for for um, dominance, but this would definitely be one of them. This one, Night at the Opera, oh, Queen Two, even the first Queen album is raw as it is. It's it's hard to say. Day at the Races is a really good uh, Night at the Opera and Day of the Races. I sort of think of as as sort of a double album almost. You know, they're oh yeah, they're little Marx Brothers tribute but yeah this is this is just an amazing song and so different from what we get from queen album or from queen songs but just so perfectly enjoyable hard not just to feel happy it. hearing this no no not at all you, you the, and that's the thing where we keep building on the sort of happiness you know just making you smile level and even coming up with a, a song after this, you know, uh, that, that actually, if we want to move into the next song, yes. it's, it's an even just ridiculously happy song called uh, Rocket Prime Jive. When I hear that rock and roll, it gets to my soul. And this is this is another one with Roger Taylor singing. Mm-hmm. This one kind of feels 
if I can put this in some way, this is probably the follow-up to I'm in love with my car. Yeah. Yeah, oh, definitely. It, but it almost has, a, like, a little punk-rocky feel to it. It's got punky, punk-rocky, that, 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 where punk-rock met Elvis once again. You know, the, the little part where he's like, come on, baby, baby, it's all right. The rock and roll on a Saturday night. Very... But it's got mm-hmm. that sort of driving punk down chug guitar going along with it. Well, and it's also got, you know, uh, lyrically a lot of references to other things. It's got, you know, come on, baby. You know, it's got uh, references, I think, to Led Zeppelin, sort of lyrics-wise, yeah. uh, ACDC, sort of lyric-wise. Yeah. So That's but it's just a fun song yeah and and it's but it, it starts out with a, as a total like stadium ballad where mm-hmm. you know with just a uh arpeggiating guitar and freddie gets to just let the pipes loose on it and then just step back after mm-hmm. that which is great yeah, it's and- a great i i love when bands do stuff you know when when it's like okay freddie's the lead guy but they don't he doesn't really dominate anything but they know it, there's points where we got to use him here <laughs> yeah but there's not that uh, horrible a transition when it goes from freddie to uh no to roger no it's, it's hard it's seamless you, it could be freddie singing it just in a little in a more restrained way you know you know the the only real difference i can tell between roger's voice is roger's voice has it's not quite, it doesn't have quite the range that Freddie does. No. But it does have a, uh, a much higher vocal. Yes. Uh, yeah, it has a little, gr- both he and, and less so with Brian May, but they have a little more grit to their voice, too. It's a little bit of grit, you know, a little bit of crop where Freddie is smooth as silk, you know. And their, and their oh, yeah. range is not quite mm-hmm. as high or low, but it's getting there, you know, they can. They can hang with him. So, you know, I mean, for if you weren't paying attention when you first put this on, you might not think that there was two people singing this song. No. But it's 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 not a bad transition and and it's again, you know, just a a really fun rocking song. And yeah, you're right, it does have elements of the sort of punk era. It's got a, a, a quick, you know, uh, guitar line so it's again just all of these songs are just so good to listen to you know it's and there's not that there's not the bombast there's not the sort of pompasity or pomposity that you got on earlier albums it's just straight up rock and roll and that's just again absolutely fun yep with a pop sheen well now we're getting From the from that oh, yes. to the incredibly weird with Don't Try Suicide. <laughs> yeah.
This song is weird <laughs> as shit, man. I I've always I I've never been able to completely wrap my mind about what's uh, 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 what's going on in this song. You know, See, I, I don't care. I don't care. I think this is just you know oh, love as, as much as as much as suicide is a difficult thing, and we know there are songs serious out there that talk topic. about suicide very serious and something that you know you don't just approach in this way. I think this is a song, and it's again written by Freddie. This is a song talking about obnoxious, pretentious, stuck-up people who are just trying to get attention. And this is Freddie saying, shut up. Yeah. I don't want to deal with your crap. I mean, there's a lyric in here that says, all you do is get on my tits. Yeah. <laughs> I have never heard that statement before. Yeah. But well, yeah, and also, you can't be a prick teaser all of the time. He's calling these people who are just completely arrogant and self-centered out and telling him, look, if you're trying to to use suicide to get people's attention, wrong. You're not doing it. You're you're being a jerk, and I don't want to have anything to do with you. Now, granted, you know if people, you know, to take it to the other aspect, yes, people who have actual depression problems who actually think of suicide, this is not probably a song for you. This is a song about people who are basically giant douchebags, and Freddie is calling them out on it. And I love it. Well, this reminds me of a story of an old roommate of mine named Dan that he told me of when he was at a high school party. And now I'm remembering all of it. There was a kid there who thought he was Tom Baker, Doctor Who. And he was, you know, teen suicidal. Or, you know, being drunk and very vocally suicidal. And everybody was just sort of brush, brushing him off. And, you know, he was getting like, I'm going to do it. I swear I've got, you know, blah, blah, blah. And finally, my friend Dan just went to the kitchen and got him a knife and was like, here, will you just shut up? <laughs> and the, exactly. And the guy put the knife down and, like, stormed out and went home and went to bed. And um, mm -hmm. when I was a little kid and I'd listen to the song, I thought, this is kind of irresponsible, the whole don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And I was just like, <laughs> wow, whoa, that's a mixed message right there. But, yeah. well... Now that I'm older, message, I can see what he's getting at. <laughs> it's just like, put, yeah. put up or shut up. You just, you just, you just making noise, you know, for attention. It's not, it's not about people who are actually clinically depressed and are having thoughts of actual suicide and you know have a, a, a psychological problem. Who, who are, who are honestly thinking about this? This is people who are trying to get attention. Yeah. Freddie's calling him out and saying, to them, "Look." I don't need your crap. I, I I'm not here to listen to you be a whiny little bitch. Yeah, this you know, shut up and just have fun. This isn't a death metal song of despair. It's so sunny and happy and upbeat sounding all the way through it, even when it slows down and gets kinda breakdowny. <laughs> Yeah, well, and that's the thing. That's the thing that's so odd about it is it is a very sunny and happy song. It's just a, yeah, it, for a song that you know lyrics are "Don't try suicide." It's just not worth it. Don't try suicide. Nobody cares. You know, it's it's a very poppy and upbeat and you know fun to listen to song. And so there is that sort of dichotomy there. Should you be enjoying this or should you be going, "Wow, this is completely inappropriate"? And I think. You know, the, the actual message is, yes, this is not about people who are truly suicidal. This is about people who are trying to get your attention. Yep. And bumming everybody out, man. Oh, yeah. Bringing the mood down. But 
we'll bring the mood up with the next one, which is Sail Away, Sweet Sister. Hey, little babe, you're changing. Babe, are you feeling so? Ain't no use in pretending. You don't want to play no more. It's plain that you ain't no baby. What would your mother say? You're all dressed up. This is Brian May's, I guess, song to us, The Sister He Never Had. Mm-hmm. And it's a nice yeah, this, pop ballad. Yeah, it's and this is kind of akin to uh, the song 39 that uh, mm-hmm. Brian did on the uh, on the Night at the Opera album. And Brian does these, these sort of nice uh, acoustical guitar songs. They're just kind of airy and bright. There's not really that much behind them. It's just a, a fun song to listen to. Uh, it, it, it focuses on Brian's guitar work, and it's it's just a a nice little change from the sort of uh, the hard rock that we've been getting, and the the, the funky punk that or the funky punk and the uh, the pop that we've been getting. It's the it's the most Queen sounding Queen song on this, uh, you know, traditionally classically Queen. It's got that sort of baroque Brian May guitar and. You, and, and it's and it's got you know he he, he sings about but Freddie sings a bridge on it so it's got a nice little little different part in it and it, it just it, this song this song would be at home on Queen two almost any Queen album before this you know you could probably pop it down turn down the production a little bit and it it, it could have been you know they could have been working on this song for a long time. So oh, it yeah. could be from a different, you know, from written years before, but it, it just has that a very, yeah, just the classic Queen, whatever the hell that is. <laughs> yeah, it does have that more, that more rounded, that more, you know, I hate to use the word bombastic style, but the style that you'd get, you know, around Night at the Opera and Day of the Races, you know, it's it's again, if there is a sort of. Uh, through a, a throughway of this album, you know, it's kind of they started out with the Queen sound, moved away to a more rockabilly and disco type sound, and now at the end of the album, they're kind of coming back towards the Queen type sound. Yes. This is the sort of stuff that you'd see on their earlier type albums. Yeah, yeah, and and Queen are always like I've I've always found. The, the difference, they were very album oriented and the different sides of their albums would have a little different feel to them and a different flow in each one. And so this one is like, here's a new, the newer Queen and here's the more traditional Queen. You know, um, Queen 2 had even had like side white and side black and side black I think was pretty much written by Brian May and side white was pretty much Freddie Mercury. And and so this album is really no different. And um, although the next song uh, coming soon, 
think this one is 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 another one like uh, Rocket that's just a melange of it's disco, power pop, it's mm-hmm. rock and some punk rock with vaguely 50s maybe it's those oozing the ooze that are kind of yes. 50s like but they're also kind of 60s power pop like it's all queen you know <laughs> mm-hmm. the, this would be the only song in the album that i kind of Feel it wasn't story. that I disliked it. Yeah, it, exactly. That was the thing that I came up with. It. It feels like this is filler. That we just had to fill time, so we just wrote this because the lyrics are really inconsequential. There's not much going on. You know, it's kind of like the the prime drive, you know, uh, song or rocket. That it just the lyrics don't really mean all that much. It's it's good. It's competent. It's well produced. It sounds nice, but overall in the grand scheme of the album it's just kind of there you know who it reminds so, me of now that i think about it it reminds no. me a lot of a cheap trick song like it could be a cheap trick song i can i can hear that you know that 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 kind of works yeah oh man we got to do a cheap trick album sometime maybe dream police i love that oh and dream police is a good one Okay, well, yeah. If you ever want to do that one, that's another one to put in the uh, in the notepad to, yeah. to eventually get to. Yeah, people need to know about their cheap trick. I'm already yeah. assuming... You see, that's the funny thing about Queen is everybody knows about Queen. You know, the kids I work with, they all... They, they love Queen, but they love the la- they love the songs off the last few albums, you know? Because those were the ones where the the songs were closer you know to their they they still they've heard all the hits and stuff like that yeah but uh you know that the the later stuff that towards the end was the stuff but everybody's got their you know their period of queen that that they got into and i hard i don't really know I don't even remember anybody ever going like, ah, I really don't like Queen <laughs> or I don't care for him. Everybody seems to like them to or love them. <laughs> and well, there's, there, and there's definitely haters out there, but I don't know many of them. Right? There's definitely different eras to Queen. You know, once you got uh, near the mid 80s, where obviously Freddie was, you know, sort of taken, you know, once they stopped touring and just started releasing albums, the albums became less of a individual effort and it was more of a group effort yeah so you didn't get these sort of distinct uh varying songs but it it was still good stuff they still were putting out good stuff even with albums like oh kind of magic and uh innuendo and stuff like that so it's just this is i think the best era of queen where each each member of the band was to write their own song and getting to do their own thing getting to shine and that's what I like about the band. Well, they were definitely. It, it, it's. It's. I think it would just naturally be like that because they were in their prime. They'd been around for a while, so they'd really gotten to hone their talents, and you know, as a band and in the studio, and they were still and they were young, and yeah, there was nothing to stop them at this point. As time goes on, they they started getting. You know, Freddie's health started becoming, uh, you know, something that would change them, you know, logistically and thematically. (laughs) 
and not really for the worse. I mean, it was you you didn't get to see him live as as much, but the music definitely definitely changed. And this was at their at that point where you know they've they're still experimenting, but they've done a lot of their wild experimentation, and now they're just having fun. Mm-hmm. And because after this, you'd get. Uh you get the Highlander soundtrack or Kind of Magic, and you get the Flash Gordon soundtrack where they really did some oh interesting my, experimentation. Oh, my God. How can I forget the Flash Gordon soundtrack? That battles for number one, too. That's, mm-hmm. that, that, that battles in my number ones for soundtracks. <laughs> oh, yeah. Much less Queen albums. That, if that, may, that next to Night at the Opera might have the... the um, honor of being the most listened to queen album by me that one's on my ipod and and i listen to it quite often at work <laughs> for well that's that's just a fun album to listen to and uh, also because they put the dialogue from the movie in it that just helps with it it's just it just makes it so great but you know you're right this is the point where they had they had built themselves up. They had built their sound, and now they can go off and do their own little, interesting little things. They can, they can do a sort of rockabilly thing. They can do a sort of disco thing, but still keep the intrinsic Queen sound with yes. the album. It's awesome. And well, that brings us to the end. Save me. It started off so well. Said we made a perfect pair. What an end! What an operatic, building, layered song mm-hmm. about, uh, I guess, uh, it seems like a broken relationship of some sort, or you know, sadness over separation of some some sort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a, this is again harkening back to prior songs. This is like, uh, like I said, uh, thirty nine and sail away, sweet sister, kind of go along. This one, I think, kind of goes along with somebody to love. This has got that sort of same sort of thematic feel. And, you know, it's, it's, they started off with uh, Play the Game, which started off with the synthesizers, but then transformed into the typical Queen type song with the guitars. And this one finishes the album off yep. with a traditional Queen song. So it's just, it's a nice, it, although it's not. Uh, like we had in previous episodes with Sgt. Pepper's and Daft Punk's uh, Random Access Memory, there is kind of a throughway of the album, and it does not completely come full circle, but by the end, it's still, even though it's advanced the idea of what Queen is a band, it still comes out 
having sound sounding like Queen. If I was in Queen and I was doing doing live shows during the era of the game, this would be this would be the pre the last song before the encores. You know, this would be the close out the official concert song. You know, just pound at home song. And yeah, it is. It's very traditional. The chord structure of it is very Brian May sound. It's I. It's it's great, and it is. It, it they always like to tie in the beginning and the ends of their albums. Very similar to how ELO did it. Queen Two has you know if you play the beginning and the end of their album, if you play the beginning of the album and you play the end, the end is the beginning forward. In the beginning is the end backwards. Wow, heavy man. shit, man. <laughs> shit from Queen. Strong meat from Queen. No, but this, this just basically, it's it's a perfect Queen song. It's got that sort of the the distinct sort of guitar sound that you get from Brian May, and it ends on a very quiet piano keyboard solo, and Freddie just saying, you know, I'm naked and I'm far from home and just it's it's a great great song uh, overall this is just I don't know if you could call this a perfect album but I think it's pretty damn close it is and and you know I think I'm pretty sure if it's not the shortest Queen album it's like pretty close to the shortest Queen album ever I think I, I think that's I think because I read... they got it like they were like these all fit together let's not gild the lily you know let's not throw these other filler songs we had ready and let's just put it out like this you know yeah this is there is no fat on this this is trimmed down Mm -hmm. to be lean and in your face and just ready to go there is no you're, you're right there is no filler in this album it's all just prime stuff it is all prime jive if yes if you would go From what I've seen, it's hot, it's mean. Hey, if you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. 2TrueFreaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. 
Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.